How many people know that God is, is really good? How many people enjoyed to worship this morning? So awesome just to get loud in God's presence. I think He likes that sometimes. and Be quiet as well. So uh, turn to the person on your right, and I just want you to say, let go. No, not that they're holding you or anything. Now, now turn to the person on your left and say, let God. <laughs> oh well. Say this together with me, will you? Let go and let God. All right. You talk, you're talking about Alpha. I want to talk about some basics this morning, okay? How many people like the profound basics of the faith? It's always good stuff, right? And so I want to talk about the second man. And uh, I'll, I'll describe what that means in a minute. Um, Father, I just thank you for your presence in a church like this, Lord, and your presence in churches all over town and in the world, God, I just thank you that you are on the move, that your kingdom is being advanced, Lord, that you do not remain silent, Lord, God, that you stop hurricanes, Lord, that you heal sick people, that you raise even dead people, Lord, that you, you've done it and you'll do it today, Lord. God, you are an awesome God and we serve you because you are God for no other reason, God, and you created us to just be intimate with You, Lord, to walk with You. Father, we just thank You and we praise You, God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You guys remember that commercial that used to be for that, uh, that frozen pizza? What do you want on your tombstone? <laughs> you, know, you know, pepperoni, whatever. Um, you know, I, I, like Enoch, how many people would like to have on their tombstone Elijah Mosley, he walked with God. He walked with God. That's, that's it. That's all, that's all I need. I just want to be known as a man that walked with God. The rest speaks for itself. Amen? So the second man, I just want to start with an article I came across this week uh, from World Magazine. You know, if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of like a Christian news week, <laughs> sort of. And uh, it's about this guy some of you may be familiar with, some may not. His name's Bono, or that's his nickname. And uh, he's the lead singer of a pretty famous rock group through the 80s, 90s, and today, U2. says, is Bono the lead singer and songwriter for the rock group U2 a Christian? He says he is and writes about Christianity in his lyrics. Yet many people question whether Bono is really a Christian due to his notoriously bad language, liberal politics, and rock star antics though he has been faithfully married for 23 years. But in a new book of interviews called Bono in Conversation by Mitchka Asayas, Bono, though using some salty language, makes an explicit confession of faith. The interviewer, Mr. Asayas, who, by the way, is not a Christian, begins by asking Bono, doesn't he think appalling things happen when people become religious? Bono counters. It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. The interviewer asks, what's that? At the center of all religions is this idea of karma, Bono says. You know, what you put out comes back to you. 
an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite reaction, explains Bono. And yet along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> Maybe you can relate. The interviewer asks, like what? Well, that's between me and God, but I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge, says Bono. Now listen to this. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. Amen to that. Then the interviewer marvels. This is hilarious. The Son of God who takes away the sins of the world... I wish I could believe that. Bono. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out did not come back to us and that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death, replies Bono. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. The interviewer marvels some more. That's a great idea. No denying it. Such great hope is wonderful, even though it's close to lunacy. In my view, <laughs> uh, Christ has his rank among the world's great thinkers, but Son of God isn't that far-fetched. How many have ever heard that one before? Come on, college campus, you know. <laughs> this girl's studying philosophy here, so I'm sure she, she's heard this. Come on, you know, it's a little far-fetched, don't you believe? Bono comes back. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you to do that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. So what you're left with is either Christ was who He said He was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase, to use C.S. Lewis's classic argument. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. And the author of this article concludes, what is most interesting in this exchange is the reaction of the interviewer to whom Bono is in effect witnessing. <laughs> the hip-rock journalist starts by scorning what he thinks is Christianity, but it is, it, it is as if he had never heard of grace, the atonement the deity of Christ, the gospel. And he probably hadn't. But when he hears what Christianity is actually all about, he's amazed. Isn't that a powerful article? Amen. Not here to promote Bono or you too. I'm just saying that Bono has, has a revelation here about grace and he's able to communicate it in a practical way to people in our culture which honestly I'm striving to be able to do and I think we all should be able to, to communicate the truth of Scripture to people in a relative and a meaningful way 
um, I'm, I should say a relevant in a meaningful way. Um, so, the gospel is simple and so profound. It has changed millions of lives throughout the course of history and today. What always amazed me the most was that this experience, this very personal, life-changing experience that I had at 19 years old, um, when I went to the Philippines in 1994, or to Zimbabwe 10 years later, or to Argentina, or wherever in the world you travel, you can meet people who have had a similar life-changing experience with the one and only God. And it's not just another religion because it's about being replaced. (laughs) It's about dying to self, letting this person die so that Christ can rise up within me. Amen? So I want you to think of this question this morning along this line of, of reasoning. What am I holding on to this morning? What am I holding on to? Maybe you've never known a relationship with Christ in a personal way. Maybe you've known religion, but not a real relationship. I would just challenge you to hear me out this morning and ask yourself the question, am I trying to control my life? Because the truth is, is that Christ died so that He could live in you and take control of every aspect. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you need to ask yourself the question, okay, maybe I've been a Christian for ten years. What am I still trying to control? Am I trying to control my finances? Am I trying to control my wife? Uh Uh-oh. Am I trying to control, you know, my kids? Am I trying to control my education? All of these things are meant for His Lordship, not ours. And see, the problem is when we try to take over those things and say, I love God, but, you know, these are separate issues. God cares about this, but, you know, I'm in control of this. Ultimately, it leads to death. What do I mean by death? Death in the sense of destruction in that area of your life or unfulfillment, or failure of some kind. If it has to do with your marriage, then there's going to be frustration. There's going to be tension. There's going to be one spouse trying to draw something from the other person that they were never meant to draw out of that person. Because they're not getting their need met through Christ. Amen? So, let me ask you another question. Are you tired of just trying to be good enough? Stop. Stop trying to be good enough. You can never do it. Now, there's a lot of good people in the world, right? Well, he's just a good person. Statistics show that over 50% of Americans still believe that if they're good enough, they'll get into heaven. It's just not true. I'm not good enough. So if you're sitting here this morning looking at me and thinking, well, he's probably a good guy. No, I'm really not. (laughs) I'm really not a good guy. Me, myself. Now, Jesus in me, yes, he's a great guy. So, it's interesting when you look at other world religions that all of the world's religions, Buddhism, Confucianism, Judaism, Islam, they all seem to account for the sinfulness of man. Have you noticed that? They all seem to say, okay, there's a problem here. And so Buddha said, if you follow this eight paths, you will gain enlightenment. You'll overcome that problem. 
Hinduism said that if you do good things, then hopefully you'll be reincarnated into a greater state headed towards the path of nothingness, whatever. Okay? <laughs> On the other hand, if you do a lot of bad things, then you know, your reincarnated state will probably not be headed down the right path. So nonetheless, all of these things acknowledge that there is a problem here. Okay, and I just want to remind us of what the Bible says. Alright, just very quickly and simply. Romans 3.23 It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you've heard this verse quite often probably. You're probably very familiar with it. I want to point out something to you. For all have sinned and fallen short of what? Glory. When God created man in the Garden of Eden, He created us in what? In His image, right? That means that the glory, the very glory of God was a part of us. Isn't that true? If we're seeking the glory, what does that mean, the glory of God? Well, I don't know. <laughs> it means all that God is, all that He has to offer, all of His characteristics, His qualities, is a part, was a part of us. And when sin entered the world, that got cut off. That means, you know, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. You know the story in Genesis. So as a result of sin, there's a separation from God that keeps us from His glory. The original glory, if you will, that we're meant to share in. If you go back to those verses, I just put an excerpt because that's not the end of the story. Let's read them again. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely or made right by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 23, the second verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing more profound than that statement. I would challenge you with that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. See, don't do it. It's not you. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, Jesus provides the way to God unlike any other religion. Any other religion is trying to find, is trying to work their way to this path to God. Jesus said, no, that's no longer, that's not an option. It's not all these religions are many paths to one God. Jesus said, I'm it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And if he, you know, if he was lying to us, he was just a horrible person. Don't call him great teacher. Because he hung on the cross with two thieves on either side. And one of them called out and said, Jesus, basically save me. And he told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, if he was lying to that guy, he's an awfully cruel man. Wouldn't you agree? So don't call him good teacher. Don't call him just a good prophet. He was the Messiah. However, Jesus provides this way But we have to accept that sacrifice and make a choice 
Just like He gave Adam and Eve a choice in the garden. You can sin or you cannot sin. You can sin and this will be the consequence or you cannot sin and enjoy constant fellowship with Me. He gives you that choice today and this morning to say, okay, I'm going to accept this and I'm going to make a choice to die to myself. I'm going to make a choice to be crucified with Christ so that I can rise. I'm going to make a choice, and maybe you're here this morning, you're kind of hearing this explained for the first time, and you've heard this phrase thrown around, born again. Okay, what does born again mean? All right, well, I want to look at, at uh, John chapter 3. This is a, a classic illustration of how Jesus explains this. Okay, let's take a look at this real quickly. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a member of the Jewish, Jewish ruling council. Really smart guy, very religious, very good guy. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come to us from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Makes no sense. Nicodemus asked, Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. It goes on, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Moving on. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus goes on to tell him, you know, you're just not getting it. On in verse 16. For God, Jesus, this is his explanation basically. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever will believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Isn't that an interesting misunderstanding of the Gospel? So often as Christians, we are accused of condemning. Well, don't judge me. You know, that, that Jesus came and there's somehow this church that's supposed to condemn sin and just judge everybody. But Jesus said, I didn't come that, you know, to condemn the world, but, but to save the world. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In essence, I'm not condemning you. You're condemning yourself if you don't believe that I am who I say I am. Now, there's a, an article, if you will, written by a, name, a man named Paul. This guy was also called Saul. And uh, he wrote some interesting articles that are found in the, the book of Romans, chapter 5 and 6. But I w if you will w read with me these articles, I think we'll find some insights on these that we're talking about that will be helpful. We'll call this article, The Story of Death and Life. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God and everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So this death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. 
even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, the separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Sovereign life in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting, everything right that one man, Jesus Christ, provides. You see, that's where the second man comes in. The first man was Adam. God gave him a choice. He chose sin. It created separation. It gave us that nature. Some will argue that man is not inherently sinful. That argument doesn't stand up very well to me. I don't really understand that because last time I checked, I never had to teach my four boys, you know, how to sin, like how to how to lie and how to be disrespectful to their mother, how to, you know, but I do have to teach them to do what's right, you know? Move on. Here it is in a nutshell, okay? This is it. Just as one person did it wrong and got us all in this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man, or the second man, said yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life. A life that goes on and on and on, world without end. There's a revelation that Bono got. You know? That I don't... Yeah, I've done a lot of bad things. Who hasn't? But the good news is, karma ain't operating in my life. The grace of God that says, you don't deserve it, Rachel, but because I love you and I died for you, you get this free gift should you choose to accept it. Let's move on. When death becomes life. So what, what do we do? We keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? This is what happened in baptism. Savannah, pay attention. Oh, she's not in here, sorry. We should this with her later. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life and a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. I'm getting excited. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. 
Each of us is raised into a light-filled world but our, by our fathers so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer it sends every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in His life-saving resurrection. That's the awesome part. I love that. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, He took sin down with Him. But alive, He brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Come on. Alright. It gets better. It gets better now. That means you must... That's a good article, isn't it? That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So if you don't understand the Gospel, it's just that. That Christ did it. And the Bible says to repent, be baptized, fill with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. That's what water baptism is for. Is that when you are symbolically dunked under that water, that old man is gone. And the second man is raised again. Move on. What is true freedom then? You can readily recall, can't you? If you're a Christian, how at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you actually had. And how much different it is now as you live in God's freedom, your life's healed and expansive in holiness. Have you experienced that? It didn't work before. Things just weren't working out. It was just a mess we were creating. Move on. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God... You didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise! A whole healed, put together life right now with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life, and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life. Eternal life. Delivered by Jesus, our Master. Thank you, God. Wow. I'm encouraged. So, God is calling. I just want to challenge you that today, if the Lord is speaking to you and uh, you've never you know, surrendered your life to Him completely, I would highly recommend that you do so. Uh, it's the best decision you'll ever make. You're signing up for a war because as we prayed today, that there's a war going on in the spiritual realm and the enemy's not going to like it. 
that you make that decision, but Jesus is always going to be there. He's always your friend. He will help you through the good and bad. I'm thankful I don't have to worry about my life myself. You know, when you got financial problems, isn't it nice to know I don't have to figure this out? God can figure it out. <laughs> or any other problem that you have in life. So just very simply, this is what the Bible says. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So in a few minutes, I'll give you the opportunity. You can make that confession. You can believe that. God has given you the gift to believe that in your heart this morning. And you'll be saved. And you can start on this new journey as a second man, as a new person. Isn't that exciting? And if you're here this morning and you've been a Christian for a long time, I want to challenge you this morning. I don't want you to be comfortable. Okay? Don't get comfortable on me now. I'm saved. Yeah, you're safe. But confess. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. He's Lord over every area. You see, the problem is, is that there's a lifelong process of becoming like Christ. It's not always a problem, but a lot of times it's a problem because we don't want to die to ourselves. We want to hold on to things. And uh, let me just remind you, if you're a Christian or if you're not, let go and let God. Stop trying to do it on your own. For five years, from age 19 to 24, I served God in my own strength with a very limited understanding of grace. I mean, I was going out and spreading the gospel. I was doing all these good things, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, I didn't totally understand grace. I wanted to hold on to certain things in my life. Um, things like choosing who I was going to marry. And uh, as a result... It resulted in death in that area of my life. I'm going to play a song for you in a few minutes. It's written by... I'm not going to play the song. You amen to that. I'm going to play it on a CD. But it's written by a, name, a guy named John. And I saw John sing this song. And he said that he wrote this song on his 24th birthday. And the song really spoke to me because I realized that when I was 24, when, the day I turned 24... My wife at that time had just left me for the second time. We had tried to work it out. And anyway, I'm not going to go into the whole long, sappy story, but don't really want to revisit that at the moment. But just to summarize, I was in a desperate place. Things just hadn't worked out as I thought that they would. I may have had a lot of excuses, you know, but ultimately. The Lord picked me up out of this slimy pit I was in and said, Matthew, here's the point. It's not you. It's me. Give it all to me. Yeah, you're, you're doing good, son. You've been walking with me hard. The best that you know how, but that's the problem. You're doing it the best you know how and not as well as I know how to do it through you. So lay it down, pick yourself up, and move on, and I'll use you in great and mighty ways. So I want to challenge you with that this morning. As you listen to this song, the song's called 24, because as I say, he wrote on his 24th birthday. But for you, it could be the song could be called 52, or it could be called 17, or 25, whenever you had this experience that I'm describing. Or maybe you haven't had the experience. 
Well, that's good. Take this song as, you know what, I'm going to give Lord, the Lord everything in my life from the start. Then I won't have to experience death in areas of my life. Go ahead and roll that. Put the lyrics up here for you to just really hear what he's saying. 24 oceans 24 skies 24 fairs and 24 tries 24 finds me and 24 plays with 24 drive-bys
I want to see miracles. I want to see the world changed. I want Jesus to raise the dead in me. Life's not what I thought it was. If that's, if that's what the Lord is speaking to you in your life and He's prompting you that you know what? Up to this point you've been dead. You've been dead. But I'm raising the dead in you. You can be the second man. I'm just going to give you an invitation to respond to that this morning. So if we could just all stand up. God, we thank You for the power that You died on the cross. Lord, You took my sins and you, you raised from the dead, Lord, that I can share in Your resurrection. God, You've done that for every single one of us this morning. Lord, and I just pray, Lord, that You would reveal Yourself and Your power and Your glory to each and every person, Lord, in this place. There's no greater miracle than that, that a person's heart can be changed. So I want to give you an opportunity to come here this morning and if we could have some prayer team people up here and if you guys would just come forward now. I'll just give you an opportunity to come up here and say, you know what? I need that miracle. I need the second man to be raised up in me. For the first time or for the 25th time because you realize that Jesus needs to be Lord over another area of your life. I just ask you to do that. And I also want to see the miracle of blind eyes being opened. I want to see the miracle of backs being healed, of deaf ears hearing, of high blood pressure being lowered, whatever the, the problem, the sickness, the disease. If you've got cancer here today, you're in the right place because God wants to heal you. The power of God will be made manifest this morning. I truly believe that. So also, if you need to be healed this morning or if you want to stand in for somebody who needs to be healed, then please come forward and uh, the Lord bless you. So please come up and receive prayer if that's you this morning.